McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 168. Well, England might be playing, but Pompey's shift in formation is the real news. <laughs> you know the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? I'm good. I'm just wondering if you're going to include the first take of that, where you said accidentally, but Pompey is shit, rather than shifting focus. Um, I'm wondering if the both takes of that are going to make it. Hello, mate. Yeah, uh, not too bad. Thank you. Obviously, now... The World Cup is over for another four years, essentially, as uh, as Wales have made a polite exit from the competition. Um, so yeah, just the the small matter of the knockout rounds to to pretend aren't happening, and then we can focus on qualifying for Euro twenty four. Yeah, wow, that's days. exciting! I'm sure everyone's really interested in how Wales bottled their performance in the last game. Bottling, bottling. We were aiming for a four nil win. We were sorry, we were aiming for a four nil result, and we were only one goal out. So it's not not far off. Gareth Bale, the prophet, then the Messiah. He's not the Messiah, he's a naughty little boy. <laughs> the dirty scammer. That's right. And that voice you just heard then is a docile tone to Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I'm not so bad, Hugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been nice to watch the World Cup in the result. They did all right, even though it looked incredibly shaky in the first half. But yeah, aside from that, enjoyed the weekend. Met up with you after the, after the FA Cup game. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Yeah, we went out after, didn't we? Hit a few bars. Love that. Went to a few parties as well, which I don't know if I'm allowed to mention on the podcast. Am I? Can't do that in, can't do that in Qatar. I don't know. Shake of the head. Am I allowed to mention where we went into? No, Freddie's shaking his head. <laughs> Unfortunately, me gate crashing a party is not allowed to be mentioned due to work reasons. All right, boys. Andy's looking rather miserable at this second in time. No, just, just picturing you gate crashing at Portsmouth News sports department whatever you call it, called, it, well, it wasn't it was literally it was a um like a flat it, essentially the journalist was writing a story about the queen's hotel and their like christmas bar type thing and because we're at the news they invited some of us along so yeah it, it was decent it was yeah. decent it was a good night shout out to toby all right let's move on first of all we're going to review the game against nk dance Then we're going to talk about some news items that have cropped up during this week. And finally, let's be honest, this is going to be short and snappy. We're going to preview the game away to Wickham, which is basically to kickstart your footballing weekend before the real important game that England play. Right, let's get started. MK Dons, me and Freddie were there. It was, you know, it was decent, wasn't it, Fred? Just getting down back down to Fratton Park, another home game, which is always nice. but. 
Pompey decided to sh- shift the formation, which meant that Freddie Webb had to buy some beers or buy me a pint. He did say he'd buy all the listeners a drink, which he didn't do. He only bought me one. So give me your ats at PO Forecast and let me know if Freddie owes you a beer. It was quite nice seeing Denver Hume start on that left-hand side at wing-back, for instance. He linked up quite early on with Ronan Curtis. He sort of drilled a ball actually into his feet, dummy the cross. It was really nice. Uh, Curtis Shimmy's the man. And the keeper makes a nice, nice save. Zach Swanson, he has a little chance there, doesn't he? Left wing back, gets the ball into Curtis, right wing back at the back post and unfortunately drills it wide. Andy, what do you think about the changing formation, playing the two wing backs and how he started the game? Yeah, I think well, the easy one to answer there is how he started the game. Uh, yeah, Before going a goal down, you'd have to say it was a pretty quick start from Portsmouth, to be fair. And... Um, it was unfortunate to go a goal down uh, early doors, to be honest, in this game. I'm glad we obviously fought back into the game. But yeah, started pretty well. Um, I can see, I think Freddie just also saw the fact that Messi just had a penalty save by... No? No, I was looking at something else for the wicked oh, stuff. Okay. But yeah, the the three at the back, or the, the playing the wing-back system, I, I'm an R on this, and I go back and forth on a fairly regular basis. I think that there are absolutely benefits to the system for example the fact that Hume and Swanson are both very very good going forward Hume in particular he's not really a bona fide left back is he He is more of a left wing back who probably contributes more going forward than he does at the back Um, but at the same time you always feel that there's that little risk as we saw with one of the goals we conceded of if one of the centre-backs pushes forward too much and then someone like Sean Ragger gets isolated in a one-on-one system, he doesn't necessarily have a left or right back to cover pace-wise. Uh, so I honestly swing back and forth like a rusty gate on it. Uh, this week, I'm going to extol the virtues of it because we ended up winning the game and uh, the, system, the system looked pretty good. But um, give me six to eight days and I'm very happy to reverse my opinion and be completely results-oriented. Freddie, I know there's no data available from Scout. I checked other services as well. There's no data for this game. So this is going to be more of a going with your feeling rather than looking at the numbers. But Jay Mingy, for instance, had a really good game, didn't he? He created a lot of problems. He played in the centre of midfield there. And what he did really well for me is link up with players, playing little intricate passes. I thought Ronan Curtis did well with him as well, linking up on several occasions. One of those was the bishops or held the ball, plays it into Mingy, shows a lot of strength, beats a man, puts a perfect pass in for Ronan Curtis, who really should have buried it from six yards. Yeah, I think that's the key thing to take away from Portsmouth going forward is there was a lot of mobility, wasn't there? Um, Jay Mingy and Rico Hackett both did that very well, in my opinion, always being an outlet there for um, a backwards pass or a link-up pass. I think in this formation with... Uh, it was effectively a 3 4 one, two, wasn't it? I think it suits Ronan Curtis very well if we are going to play him as well an attack more attacking player like a striker. Because he has free he has freedom to move. He can go out, he can go out on the wing if Hackett covers him. He could also collect uh, collect the ball and drive drive at the defenders like he does, and also play centrally. Because I feel like whenever he's played up front in a 4 4 2, he's tried to be more like a traditional striker. Hasn't really worked very well. He's often get isolated on his own. So, yeah, I think in that sense, with Pompey going forward, I think the three at the back formation worked, especially in this game, with Mingi and Hackett linking up play with Curtis quite well. And then Bishop 
being the main number nine, taking away centre halves, doing what doing what the main striker should be doing. So yeah, I, that that was the big thing for me. I thought other decent performances before going to the goals. Denver Hume had a reasonable game considering he hadn't played for ages. Zach Swanson, for me, has taken to the right wing back role like a Dr. Walter. Um, he's he's defensively responsible, but he always offers an outlet pass going forward and his movement's very good. I like him. So yeah, I think in this game, the formation change really helped a lot, I think. Cowley basically said in the news that he didn't like the partnerships of the 4-4-2 without Owen Dale and Dane Scarlett in the side. That's why he switched it. And it makes a lot of sense, not just because of the result, but how Pompey played. It just seems to be a bit more fluid and less rigid for me anyway, while watching it. Andy, just wondering that POV view that you had there of your hamsters, are they new? Uh, Yeah, I've got a new hamster called Gida. She's only seven, well, seven and a half weeks old. And I'm just sat here swooning. I'm barely listening, if I'm honest. Uh, so I'll be like most of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you're supposed to be playing the role of co-host rather than listener, but, you know, we'll go with it. Let's be honest. <laughs> I can do both. I can do both. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to get get you back to work then because you were talking a minute ago about the defensive frailties maybe of playing this formation, and that was kind of seen, wasn't it, when MK played a little through ball through and it got in behind the defence and... In the end, it was quite an easy finish, wasn't it, to slot it past Griffiths? So do you think that's one of the things that against in the league, potentially, that could be a big issue for us playing that formation? Yeah, I think it's just an inherent risk of the formation. I mean, with the goal we concede, it is literally just one ball that splits the centre-back and the left centre-back. So Robertson gets caught slightly off balance. And, I mean, if you pause at various times... (laughs) And pretty much any time, if you watch it back on TV and pause at various times and you just saw two random players, you'd think that the Portsmouth centre-back is going to get a foot to this first. But, oh yeah, just uh, is it McEachern who scores it? Josh McEachern, did he score their first goal? Or Burns. Oh, sorry, yeah, Burns, thank you, yeah. Um, yeah, he gets sort of the wrong side of Raggett and Raggett doesn't even get a foot in. And I mean, we've we've talked before how a one-on-one foot race is never going to play to ragged strengths against an attacking player. And I do feel like this system puts him in that position more regularly than four at the back will do. And Because all it takes, as I said earlier, is one of the centre-backs like Robertson there to be kind of pulled forward. And then for the striker to sort of play up, to sort of um, make a run off his shoulder. And all it takes is a split second and suddenly, you know, either either Raggett or whoever else is playing, Morrison, whoever whoever else is at centre-back is in a, a one-on-one foot race with, you know, any attacking player. That isn't going to tend to go fantastically well. But it's a, it's a risk-reward sort of cost-benefit thing, isn't it, where you reap the rewards of, of the improved attacking threat balanced versus the slightly more defensive vulnerability when you're caught by a quick attack while your wing-backs are still in advanced positions. That's kind of the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah, the back three isn't the most mobile, is it? So whenever there is a splitting through ball like that, yeah, and with a pacey striker, they're not going to do it. They deal with it. That's just where the weakness is, really. Um, also, beforehand, before the through ball was played by Dawson Devoy, I'm not sure where Pack was there. Really? I wasn't sure. There was a huge gap in the midfielder for him to run into before playing the through ball, which is a bit of a concern because you think with that sort of formation, 
the aim is to have more control in the midfield. So those are really the two weaknesses there of that formation. If you had to, if you had to pick them, the lack of mobility from the back three, even though individually they're defensively responsible. If if a killer ball comes in, they might not be able to deal with it as well. And secondly, there has to be balance in that centre area of midfield. Hackett, Hackett has to be able to also drop back into the middle and also go forward. Um, and ideally, you think, oh, if Pack and Mingi are together, Pack being there gives license for Mingi to make those runs forwards, which was a lot of his creativity in that game. And he should have, Pack should have been in that space for me anyway. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that, Fred. Yeah, when when the wing backs get forward, those three centre backs have to widen slightly anyway, which increases the gap between each of the three centre backs which makes you even more vulnerable or prone to that that through ball between the centre back and the left centre back or the right centre back because they have to yeah you have to widen if the wing backs are forward because um, because yeah otherwise you're just very very vulnerable to the defensive clearance out to one of the flanks so it has to be done it's just part of the system. So let's move on because sometimes when Pompey have gone a goal down, it's been. You know, are we going to get anything back? Because I thought we were on top of the game before the goal went in. But Pompey bounced back three minutes later. The nice finish. Bishop holds the ball up, gets it to Mingi, who plays a lovely little through ball to Rico Hackett in the 10 roll. And we're banging on about it. We need a cam. We might need a 10. Something to open teams up. And Rico really makes a good run and sort of stakes his claim for that, I suppose. He hits it quite early, a shot. And I think that really confuses the keeper a little bit. So he slots it home, 1-1. And from there on, I thought in the first half, Freddie, we're going to go on and potentially go ahead. Yeah, I thought so too. Hackett finished it with a plum, really, with, uh, with his side foot. Again, like, I really like the pass by Joe Mingi, slotted into space. From the back of the threatening where I watched it, 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 it looked like an easier finish. It, looks, it literally looks as if he just passed it into the corner. But watching it back from the replay, there was a lot of skill involved there. So it was an excellent goal. And yeah, so after that, Pompey took control in the final third with some nice movement, like nice, short, quick passing, which is the sort of football that Danny Cowley likes. And yeah, it shows the benefits of the formation change. And it also shows the Pompey in the right circumstances can be creative going forward. Can we take a moment to sort of appreciate that through ball from Mingi? That, that it was first touch. Am I talking about, yeah, you're, you're looking, you're looking yeah. at me funny here. Yeah, there was a first touch through ball, the vision to do to to see the ball before it even received it, and to play or to execute first touch was, yeah, I I don't think that's got quite enough plaudits since the game. To be honest, it's a hell of a through ball. It's nice to see as well, isn't it? Because Mingy's had some games where he's looked outstanding with his running. But in this game, he looked a little bit different. He looked a little more classy with this with the ball at his feet, actually, and spreading the play, passing, but also still doing those little bits he did with dribbling. And we'll come on to that a little bit here because Curtis plays his little ball to Mingy, who then takes a step and wins a penalty straight away. And again, it's that movement. It's that movement we've been missing. We looked so flat in previous games. And in this formation, Mingy had that ability to move around. Curtis sort of dropping off the forward line, providing passes, moving around the front line. As Freddie mentioned earlier on, Jay Mingy does well, wins the penalty. Who's going to step up? Colby Bishop hits it you know, low to his left-hand side, never in doubt. And it's 2-1 Pompey. 
forgot more my question I was going to ask there was. <laughs> Honestly, that's very that's a very extensive description of what happened. It was an absolute stonewall penalty. I don't know what Fred and I could add to that. Yeah, composed finish from the penalty itself. Deserved to be ahead as far as I'm concerned at that point in the game. What else can you add? Well, let's just go on laying on some plaudits then to Jay Mingy, who plays a lovely pass in. Him and Curtis, again, we're linking up really well. Little one-two and then another one-two. Mingy gets in. He's breaking the line, which is the thing that we haven't been doing. Getting in behind. Has a shot at goal as well. Has a bit of confidence in this game. And the keeper makes another nice save. And from there, you just want Pompey to push on, don't you, and get a third goal? Yeah, absolutely. That was the... Idea of it anyway. JB coming in the MK Don's goal made a few made a few decent saves to keep them in it, and that was the time where you think Pompey have to kill off games like that. I think even in some of their wins this season, they've gone a goal ahead and they've made it look a bit shaky. They've sort of sat on that lead, not intentionally, but they just reduced the tempo down in the midfield a bit. So it was nice for them to try and step that up a little bit to try and get uh, the, the third goal to go 3-1 up. And it wasn't a lack of reasonable chances, in my opinion. Yeah. And then we'll move on in the second half. Obviously, it's quite nice again. We spoke about me. Let's go back to Rico again, because he plays a lovely ball through to win the penalty, the second penalty, doesn't he? Plays a nice ball, finds Colby Bishop in space. He goes down, wins the penalty. Andy Mitchmore, I want to know from you, do you think the second pen was a pen? I think it's a lot less stonewall than the first one. For me, the first one is an absolute 100% every day of the week penalty, no complaints. Second one, I thought the ball was going away anyway. So Bishop had sort of almost dummied it, hadn't he, to leave it for an overlapping player on the right. I think it was Curtis overlapping on the right. Curtis wasn't overlapping. That ball is not going to a Pompey player, <laughs> um, which I know isn't entirely the point. But even then, I think it's a pretty soft penalty. I'm I'm not complaining in the slightest. But I think if that had gone against us at the fratten end, there would be hell to pay uh, at, the, at the back of the fratten end. But I mean, I'll, I'll take it. I don't think it's a it's not a dive, and I don't think it's a you know he's he's not play acting to get the penalty. But I I don't think it's a stone wall. I think there's contact, and it's you could argue a case either way, depending on what color glasses you're looking at it through. It's quite rash, isn't it, really, from the defender? It's yeah, it's, un- it's unnecessary. If he's got the awareness to know what's happening behind him, he doesn't even give Bishop the chance to win a penalty there. It's very rash. That's the right word, yeah. Yeah, I was speaking to some MK fans after the game and they were just annoyed about how rash it was and just silly bit of defending. And that's what I'll put it down to. Again, it wasn't really as Stonewall was the first, but it's a silly penalty for them to give away, really, especially with the ball sort of rolling out of touch. So, yeah. And then... It wouldn't be a goal, a game against MK, would it, without a nice Mo Isa finish and putting a bit of pressure on some nice work down the left-hand side, a little bit more space on that side, potentially, with the wing-backs pushed forwards. Ball into the box, right pull back to Mo Isa, who taps it home, 3-2. At that point, Freddie, did you think, here we go? Or were you still happy that Pompey would hold on? I wasn't convinced that they would hold on. I think MK did really well um, in the build-up play before Moise's goal, to be honest. They brought on Connor Grant, who I thought was excellent. He linked up well with Nathan Holland on MK Dons' left side, so our right. I thought Pompey tired out an awful lot, especially in the wing-back sections, and that created a lot of space down those sides. So MK did it very well, kept the ball on the floor, tried to exploit those gaps, and then Moise was left 
with a two-touch combo for the goal in the penalty area. Of course, he's going to score that. He's a, he's quite a good striker. So from then on, it, it, it was a bit... Pompey made... I would say that it was a mixture of them. Pompey making a bit of a meal out of the last 25 minutes or so after the Moisa goal. MK Dons were on top for that time. Griffiths made some nice saves to keep Pompey in it. Some of the defending was resolute, but yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't composed and comfortable by any means, not compared to the first 50, 60 minutes or so. All right, let's move on. I did put a question out to people. Is it time to ditch the 4-4-2 and switch it to three in the back? But no one's interested in what's going on with Pompey, it seems. So talking about England, that's the way forward. Andy's even talking about England. He's pretty hyped about the game on Sunday, aren't you, Andy? I can see it there. Oh, yeah, you spotted the 18 Senegal flags over my left shoulder. Good spot. Very good. Yeah. Um, I've discovered that I'm actually 117th Senegalese. So, uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I'm not one of those fans who will actively cheer against England. That's not, I don't think that's helpful. I don't particularly care. I'd be happy for my mates if England won the World Cup because you guys would be buzzing. So, for that reason, I'd be fine with it. But at the same time, I'm not going to be actively cheering the English on. I don't really care, to be honest with you, who wins. Now, now it's officially confirmed in a surprising turn of events that Wales aren't going to win the World Cup. I can officially switch off my interest a little bit. So it's official. Andy wants England to win the World Cup for good vibes around Fratton Park. Your words. Your feelings. <laughs> I don't have feelings. You know me. I don't talk about feelings and emotions. That's not a thing. You soppy bastard. Pompey and Canberra messaged in and he said, I think we'll ditch the 4-4-2 for the Wickham game. Danny said he didn't like the partnerships in that formation, so I'd be surprised if we if we persevered with it. It could all be gamesmanship, though. Danny Kelly does like a bit of gamesmanship, doesn't he? He does like a little bit of gamesmanship, a bit of smoke and mirrors, whatever you want to say about it. But Fred, do you think in this game, we go back to the league, he's got to stick with this formation, doesn't he? Not revert to 4-4-2. Tough one. Um Pompey and Canberra was referring to presumably the Danny Cowley article in the news where we, and what I alluded to earlier, where the the, the partnerships in the four four two weren't working, and he said he would want to use the three four one two as another string in his bow. Um, it depends what Cowley wants to get out of the game. If he wants more control in the midfield in the final third, he should go with the three at the back, in my opinion. Um, Wickham aren't the most mobile of sides and that's not really a stereotype that's just looking at the players they have and thinking well really how many how many, how many of their attackers drives into the space properly so I think Gareth McCleary potentially Mehmeti is not the most mobile either Lewis Wing he's not he's not necessarily a, a rampant heavy dribbler up and down winger is he? he's, more, he's more technical so you'd, you'd, you'd like to think that that Weakness that me and Andy mentioned earlier would be wouldn't be would be as less of a factor rather. So yeah, I, I think personally he should just to add more control to this game. We can be more physical, and it'd be nice to have another body in the centre of midfield because um, Hackett can obviously, if he's playing in the ten, can drop back a fair bit just to add a bit more control there. And uh, I think Curtis, if he wants to play Curtis uh, alongside Bishop, I think the performance earns it. But that doesn't mean that, for example, if he wants to play Owen Dale there, I think Owen Dale has the skills to be able to do similar things. He's also quite creative. So, yeah, I, I think he should go with that. I think he should focus on the new formation. 
not just because of the result, because I think it, I think it just has adds more benefits than the four four two in this next game specifically. I really do think if they go to the four four two, these strikers get isolated a lot. Personally, anyway. Harry Bond messages in and he says the three at the back works with the players we have. Only issue is fitting Dale into the formation. Maybe it's a ten, but Hackett played well there against MK. Jacobs also played well there last season. Goals against were sloppy and individual mistakes, not down to the formation. The midfield and the attack seem to link up better in the 3-4-1-2. Get to see Hume play in his proper position. Only change I would make would be Ogilvy over Robertson as he's a bit more mobile. What do you reckon, Andy? Get Connor That's- Ogilvy on the left-hand side of the of the three. And then, That's an interesting shout. Yeah, a I, bit more pace. I, I don't know what message that gives to Clark Robertson if he falls down the pecking order in centre-back behind someone whose primary trade isn't uh, being a centre-back. Uh, it's an interesting shout. And I, I, purely on a footballing level, I wouldn't actually mind seeing it tries. But I feel like if we were going to see it in the league, it would have been trialled in one of the two cup games that's been up to this week. I'd be very surprised if it's attempted when it hasn't been given a bit of a trial run in one of the, if we're honest, less important competitions this year. Freddie, we spoke about before, I think at the end of the last season, is it uh, Poku for um, Plymouth playing in that role in, in the back three and how he's a bit more mobile and how that works for him. And we sort of compared the, not necessarily compared the players, but how it might work for the team and Conor Ogilvy playing in that back three. Do you think that could be something that makes Pompey more mobile and prevents these sort of challenges we've got? We're playing the three we've currently got in the lineup. It's an it's an option, isn't it? I, I generally can't remember the last time we mentioned Jerome Opoku's name. I don't even know who he plays for nowadays. I remember seeing him at Accrington at first; he was quite decent. But now I think Ogilvy's got the capability to slot in at wing back, but also left sided centre half. I think if I had to choose which position he'd fit, I'd go left sided centre half. He's more he's more. Defensive in that regard, he's seen, he's improved going forward, and his crossing's fairly reasonable. But he's not an out-and-out wing back that can get up and down. Jerome Poker's in the Portuguese league, interesting. But yeah, I, I do think he can, he can slot in there. And does it have to mean that Robertson switches out of that back three? Not necessarily. You could even drop Michael Morrison, even though I thought he had a fine game. To be honest, I don't think there's any reason for him to be dropped in that game, really. Sean Raggett was okay. And I think, but if you are going to play Sean Raggett, you have to play him in the middle of a three. I think that's what he's better at. I think leaving him out on the side of a three, either on the left or right, I think it exposes him way too much. And we've mentioned that previously. I think you'd have to have to have a preference. I think you'd, you'd like to say the same thing about Michael Morrison, even though he's a strong defensive defender from set-piece situations. You'd like to have him in the middle of a three as well. So he could shift Robertson to the right-hand side if we make that change. But yeah, I, I think I would go with the back three purely, uh, as in the FA Cup game, purely for stability's sake because they've played together already. So there's a bit more familiarity between the three of them. And bring on Co- Conor Ogilvy later on, either as the wing back or as the left side of centre-half, depending on what well, the situation needs, really. And yeah, Hume should start in his left-wing role. Yeah, and considering this is a game where we haven't got someone blistering pace maybe running at them, it's not a bad shout to keep it as it is, but against teams a, bit, a little bit more mobile up front, 
you might want to bring Connor in, shift Robertson to the right-hand side, or maybe just play Morrison in the middle and put Robertson to the right-hand side if you want to drop Raggett. So, you know, he's not untouchable, in my opinion, in the centre there as well. So both the other two defenders are pretty decent in the air. So, yeah, I wouldn't be against that either. Jeff Burrows messaged in and he says, for me, it's not about what formation we play. It's about not being predictable. We should choose whatever formation suits the players we have and their strengths and switch it up every now and then. Teams have sussed us out at 4-4-2 and they know how to stop us. Need to change it. Yeah, we said it's been over and over again. There were so many games in a row where Pompey couldn't create any chances. You know, if we're doing team guess the XG, Freddie, for Pompey, it was it was 0. what, wasn't it? You could have started that out to give us a little clue. So... Yeah, it is about what formation, though, in some ways, because that actually does allow us to, like, for instance, Jay Mingy to get forward to link up there with Rico Hackett. It allowed Ronan Curtis to have a bit more of a free role. So I suppose formation does come into play, but maybe Danny Cowley can, can mix it up as the season goes on and just depends where we're working. I think it does fit with style of play, to be honest, because uh, um, the, the, extra, the extra midfielder, I thought, just allowed Pompey to be more mobile off the ball but also focused on a shorter passing game and more link play and less direct which was nice because we saw it so many times where the movement off the ball with the 4-4-2 was so bad where the midfield didn't link with the defence or the midfield didn't link with the forwards that one of them was isolated so the ball would go back to Josh Griffith so that it would be a direct ball all the way to Bishop for example so yeah I, formations do uh, formations aren't everything but I think at League One level it does play a key part for me anyway Andrew Perrin sent a message into us, boys, and he said, just a random question. Would any of you take Paul Mullin to Pompey? He's banging them in at Wrexham with Football League experience and clearly is love League One level. Andy, Paul Mullin to Pompey. I froze my mic wasn't muted then. Sorry if you could hear anything that was going on. Um, so, Paul Mullin, that's a question I wasn't expecting to get asked about on the podcast tonight. That's I don't have an answer prepared for that. I'd be surprised if he wanted to leave at the moment, bearing in mind the project they're putting together there, even if it's an immediate step up in the league. I think they're doing the whole, you know, brick by brick thing. And it sounds like he's a fairly integral part of that. Would I take? I don't think goal scoring is generally our issue. I, I don't think we need to sort of reinvent the wheel with what we've got at the moment. I'd say on average, we've got the most potent front line I can remember us having for a number of seasons. So I don't personally, unless we lost one of those to either long-term injury or, you know, loan recall for Dane Scarlett and and we're completely up a creek without a paddle, I don't think we would need to reinvent the wheel with him. I think if you asked me before summer, then maybe it would have been an option, but I don't think at this point, a few months into a season, I'd consider him at Christmas. Paul Mullen, Freddie Webb, Paul Mann's uh, Colby Bishop? <laughs> Absolutely. But no... I, I... I've I've watched him play for Exxon mainly in the FA Cup, but whenever I see him, he scores multiple types of goals, which I always like. Always a focal point to the attacks. I don't see why he would leave Wrexham though, because he's probably one of them. Uh, this is just me speculating. He's probably one of the highest paid players in the National League, and the wages between na- top level National League clubs and League Two are fairly similar. And why would he risk for his career long term? moving to Pompey, taking two steps up to League One, where it potentially might not work. Whereas at Wexham, he's the star man. If they get promoted next season, he can have another 
good season that League Two with similar players, where the stuff up between the leagues we see we see it every year is minimal between good National League clubs and League Two. He, he'll probably have another twenty goal season at least next season if if they get promoted. So I personally don't see it. Although that type of player, I wouldn't mind them. But thinking would, would they link well with a Colby Bishop because I'd see them as quite similar. Um, thinking back to. Dion Charles, who was Colby's strike partner at Accrington. Mm, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about whether whether we need another striker in January when we do our January wish list, I think. Imagine if like the uproar if we we bring in a National League striker, the the same old people will be out in force on social media. You can imagine the response to that, even if it's someone who's like Paul Mullin, has high league experience and is doing bits down there. You know, a, a track record of doing well in in League Two or even League One for a season isn't necessarily a marker of long, long term success. You look at someone like uh, Stockton at Morecambe had an incredible season and then just has not fired at all this year. In reality, Mullin had one really, really good season at Cambridge in our division, and before that, hasn't really set the world on fire. And then he's dropped down what two leagues? So it's still a risk for me. Sort of one, one. What's the saying? One swan. No, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Kind of one season banging them in like Stockton did last season doesn't mean it's going to be a consistent thing. That's my take. Anyway, I'm sure people would disagree with that. I think unless we lose one of the strikers, I'm not sure we're going to be. I mean, we could be looking to get another striker. We mentioned it last week, but I think Cowley looks at maybe a forward a different type of forward and I'm not sure Paul Mullen is that sort of different option for us. Thanks everyone who messaged in. The hardcore. Still thinking about Pompey's game upcoming to Wickham which we're going to get onto in a moment. Paul Mullen has paid a lot of money to be fair a lot of money and that's one of the reasons why I went down there. I'm talking about a lot of money. Pompey put out a lovely gift basket to Portsmouth City Council. Well the, le- the leader of Portsmouth City Council a six grand hamper. Thank you very much. Please process our claim to get the station made bigger at Fratton and build that massive bridge that the Eisen has been waiting for, allegedly. A uh, a six grand hamper is about a, a week and a quarter's wage for Paul Mullen. So, you know, there's there's links here. <laughs> oh, dear. I'll, I'll give a bit of context for this because this was, um, I think some fans may have missed this considering it was done by... The news desk, my colleague Josh Wright, who does all sorts of ports of council stuff. Essentially, last Christmas, uh, Gerald Vernon Jackson, the Liberal Democrat politician and Portsmouth City Council leader, was given a Fortman and Mason hamper. For those of you who don't know what Fortman and Mason is, essentially a very upper class shop for ran- random food items. Their jam is probably ridiculously expensive, that type of thing. Uh, and essentially, in the article, it showed that he that Mr. Jack, six thousand pounds worth of jam, basically. Yeah, six days worth of like marmalade and it was concerts. probably more than jam. What, we, what have no, we have no idea. Um, unless you unless you want to unless you want to go on the Fortnum and Mason website, go through all the hamper selections and try and figure out which one he got. <laughs> one absolutely massive pork and apple pie, a quiche. This sounds incredible. Uh, I mean, I couldn't afford it with a large proportion of my wage, but. I mean, if we're doing Secret Santa on the PO4 cast, lads, 
Just, just saying. But the, yeah, the Fort Mason have, but that's really that classic. You know, the secret Santa with a six grand limit that we do most years. Do you reckon, it, do you reckon it's literally going to be like a hamper but covered in a massive Kinder egg? So like Kinder surprise, but instead it's just like loads of jam and other things that Freddie was talking about. Mm. For, sorry, Fred. Back to you for the serious part of this article. <laughs> so essentially. Mr. Vernon Jackson, um, he did not reject the gift when it was given to him. He didn't pass it on to charity, but crucially, he also pr- failed to provide the council with the value of it because whenever a politician receives a gift, they have to declare it, which he has done, but failed to declare the actual value of said hamper. The upper cost limit of Fortnum and Mason hampers it is £6,000, so that's where we got the figure from, but those prices vary, apparently. Um, the reaction from councillors was obviously with, I wouldn't say disgust. It was with, it was with, they were just, one argument is they were using it for political point scoring, but others were essentially saw it as a, as you, you know, a bit of relationship on the side type thing. Labour councillor Judith Smythe said it was careless. Leo Madden, a Liberal Democrat councillor, said it would have been quite easy to add a valuation to the register. And Tory councillor Scott Peter Harris said it was disappointing that this came out. Um, Case in point, Fred, it was disappointing it came out. Not that it happened, it was disappointing that everyone found out about it. There's a massive difference in <laughs> well, the word. Well, 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 to be fair, Scott Peter Harris is a Tory councillor, so he, he probably likes the fact that the news came out with that because mm. Vernon Jackson is Liberal Democrat, so he probably had a field day with that. But, but essentially what this means is for future Portsmouth-based projects in the city, Gerald Vernon Jackson might need to declare an interest on any decision relating to the football club. Now, what that means is, if he declares an interest, like a personal stake, if you will, he might not be he might not be able to be a part of the decision-making protest for any decision related to the club in terms of planning permission. For example, if they wanted to buy. Let's do a hypothetical example, not related to the to the railway thing, which they keep on trying to push. Let's say they found a bit of Portsmouth City Council land that wasn't very used and they wanted to build youth pitches on it. So they put in a planning application. If Gerald Berkson Jackson is still the council leader, and if he declares an interest, he would not be able to be part of the decision-making process because that would be bias, obviously. So it does... It, uh, it it fails to see, it'll fail to see whether this will actually hamper what Portsmouth Football Club will actually do. I was waiting for that. Yeah, <laughs> but but we'll see. It's not it's not the best of look, to be honest. Um, Mr. Vernon Jackson himself said it said it was a a tiny hamper of a few sweets that he got from Michael Eisner last Christmas, and he added that if Michael Eisner puts in a pandemic application, he'll decide whether he declares an interest in it or not. So yeah, that is the story in a nutshell. I think we can't. Well, I'm not piling on the club for this. This is what happens in most businesses. You get corporate tickets. Like this is relatively small. You, like I, I say, you get these tickets. I've not personally been offered these tickets in academia because no one's got any dollar. But yeah, in generally in business, you get corporate things. It's it's not bribery. It's just you know creating good relationships with stakeholders you'd like to have positive relationships with in the future. It wasn't directly leading to a specific end result here. It's not a backhanded payment over a specific item. This is what happens everywhere. And if this came out every time it happened in sport or in business, there'd be nothing else in the news. 
it's the for me it's the norm i have no i'm not going to critique anyone for this what do you think you your opinion i personally think we spend enough time talking about hampers and i'm going to move this on we've got the game on sunday against wickham wait one it- one one of on the pitch thing which we haven't mentioned Haji Minogas loan. That's also being hampered by Gillingham. And uh, the breaking news in the last two hours, uh, Pompey looking to scrap that deal. Minogas only played five games in all comps for Gillingham, who have basically been basically played wretchedly all season. They've only scored six goals in the league in their 19 matches and a second bottom in the league with 14 points. For those of you interested, from their six goals, they have 16.65 XG, even though that is the second lowest in the league, so they're still not creating a lot. And yeah, Minogas form for the Jills has been pretty poor. He obviously had that red card in the first 10 minutes with two bookings in his debut and then got hooked in at half-time in his second game, I believe. Yeah, I'm getting nods. And then ever since he's failed to nail down a place, now you can argue whether that's a manager not having faith in a player who's had a poor start. You could argue it's the wrong environment for a player to develop because they've been such a basket case. But yeah, Pompey are looking to have him back. And the interesting question is, with the free at the back formation coming in, do they see him as an option as on that right-hand side or are they going to try and load him out again Ideally, to another League Two team, or at this rate, probably another National League side. Those are the questions that's going to come up with that. I think you. Sorry, Andy. Go. I was just going to say, I think if Danny Cowley didn't think he was ready for first team football now, and therefore thought a loan to Gillingham was sensible at the start of the season, he will not have seen anything between then and now that will have changed his mind on that and have made him think that Hadji is ready for League One football. I mean. I, I rate him a lot. I have, I've not seen the individual games. I've seen the unfortunate highlights and it's obvious things have soured down there with Neil Harris, but I'd be very surprised if he's now seen as a, an option first team from Cowley's perspective, if that's what the viewpoint he had beforehand. All right, boys, let's move on. I agree that Haji Minoga should be is being recalled. It's the right move to do. And I'd like to see him get another loan spell out somewhere, play regular football, which is what he needs to do to develop. Where that is, it'll just be whatever the best option is for him, really. League two ideal, but maybe build some more confidence and plays in the National League for a bit. Get ready for next season, reevaluate him. Wickham Wanderers. They are a team on pretty dreadful form. In all competitions, they only got one win in the last six. And that game came against Forest Green, easy punters of the league. So make the, make what you think about that. I'm quite confident in this game, boys. You know, we've I've been a bit sceptical the last game. I said no, no draw alongside Freddie before we managed to bang three in. If we stick to the formation we play against MK Dons, I can see us making quite a few chances against Wickham, who for me aren't a real team with a huge amount of squad depth in them. The danger man for them at the moment looks Mehmeti. He's got seven goals for them in the league. He plays on the left-hand side of a three in a 4-2-3-1, which Wickham sort of usually set up in I saw in the last match though boys there's a potential for a goal from Wickham because David Wheeler is playing in the cam ex-Pompey legend David Good Wheeler <laughs> I was just about to throw that out there actually yeah oh. uh, he's done alright for them he's pretty well regarded by the fan base as far as I've been played in the championship when Portsmouth haven't that is Good God 
the man who took a first touch in the centre circle that went out for a throw-in in line with the 18-yard box in front of the Fratton end has played in a league that we haven't seen for, what, 10 years. At the back as well, they've got a centre-back I quite like. I like Tafazoli. I think he's a good player as well at centre-back. He's the sort of player that might try and stick on Colby Bishop as well. He's fairly mobile. He's decent in the air, can pass the ball out. Another player to, to highlight. Boys, do you want to take over? Who wants to get involved with this Wickham preview? Yeah, good vlog game from Tafazoli as well. Always keep things interesting. He's not crazily long back from injury. Uh, so... Yeah, be interesting to see what his his fitness is like if he plays the full 90 minutes, which, I mean, he did last time out for them in the league against Forest Green. Yeah, uh, Jacobson at left back. Again, that's a player that I rate quite a lot, actually. Um, And then the obvious danger man there, Sam Vokes, who I don't know if he actually does score against us every time we play them or if he scores at all, but he's the sort of player I just expect to score against my team every time I see him on the pitch. Um, I rate him quite a lot. Again, I'm, I'm slightly biased there uh, with the, the Welsh connection, but I would expect him to be the biggest threat, to be honest with you, Sam Vokes. But, and he's obviously got um, high league experience as well. But yeah, you, you think it's a game, we've got two games in hand on them in the league. And I think we're, what are we, about five points above them? That's from memory. I think we're about that with two games in hand. We've played 17, they've played 19. So this is a real opportunity to get a bit of daylight between us and a team that, you know, traditionally would be up and around there at the end of the season, even though they've obviously had a bit of a stinker and there's a little bit of um, a little bit of pressure building on you know, uh, Gareth Ainsworth um, as we move towards this part of the season. There's a, there's a portion of the fan base calling for a change, which seems a little bit short-sighted considering, you know, what he's done at the club and they are going to have some natural fluctuations. But yeah, I, I'll i hand over to you, Fred. I don't know if you've got any danger men or any particular points on Wickham outside of the key players that Hugh and I have laid out. I've got one thing quickly to, to jump in on. We talked about Pompey's lack of passing and moving before switching the formation a bit here. And they've got this online from Duncan Alexander, who said, Spain completed six more passes in their first half of their opening game than Wickham have in League One in the whole month of November. Long ball life. So apparently Route One is the only route for them. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But like Andy mentioned, Sam Vokes is a complete handful, um, a sort of difficult striker to deal with. And he, he'll be tasked with linking up play with Medmeti, who's more of a poacher. The Wiccan player I like the most out of or every player on the pitch for them is um, their goalkeeper, Max Striek. I saw him at Livingston a fair bit in Scotland before he moved all the way down to Wickham, and he's very good. He's got His prevented goals ratio is plus six for saving, which is excellent. And he seems to be a very good shot stopper as well, which is what Wiccan will face, for me anyway. Some of the other danger men to think about, Gareth McCleary, even though we've seen him a fair bit before, He's still danger on the wings, likes a dribble, likes a cross. Always wants to go into a strong foot and sometimes has a shot as well. So he'll be their main creative outlet out wide compared to, let's say, Lewis Wing, who I haven't really been impressed with this season, to be honest. They are still the same Wiccan Wanderers that we've seen play against Pompey several times, just with different personnel. They will be physical. They will look to hit the ball down the channel and attack quickly with players running onto the ball and then hoping for that one key pass onto a striker. Pompey have dealt with that 
several times in different games. They just had to deal with the physical battle in the midfield. And then I think they should be fine, to be honest. All right, let's wrap this up. For the early kickoff on Sunday before the England game, Annie Mitchmore on any your score prediction for the game against Wickham and any goal scorers, please. I will go 2-1 Pompey. I do think we'll get three points. I think we will play three at the back. Uh, I don't think we'd have seen it so much in the last couple of cup games if it wasn't going to make an appearance in the league. And goal scorer-wise, I will go Colby Bishop and I think Rico Hackett will start in some sort of cam role and I think will continue his little little rush of scoring. And I think Sam Vokes will score for Wickham. He's just one of those players that just scores at the most irritating times. But yeah, I, I would hope that we would have too much for them at this point in the season when they're, you know, they are beatable for sure. Webster, what are you saying? Andy looked at me very strangely when I said I knew a lot about Max Striek, which is a bit strange. But Yeah, I'm just wondering where you found the time to watch Livington, uh, Livingston in Scottish football, Fred. I, I don't know where you find the time for that. It, it was just highlights, really. It wasn't like full, a full 90 minutes of watching Livingston against Rangers over and over again. But no, I'm going to go with a 1-0 Portsmouth win. I think goal Colby scorer? And Colby Bishop will be my goal scorer uh, prediction. Very boring, I know, but... I do think Pompey will be able to get an opportunity somewhere. And I don't think David Wheeler will score against us because I actually don't rate him very much. So I'm going against my usual picking the ex-Pompey player curse to score, which means obviously he will probably score. But anyway, hmm. we'll move on. And I have noticed Wickham have Sully Kai Kai and he's barely played whatsoever after his fairly rampant stint at Blackpool in League One. That's the last time I remember seeing him anyway. Hmm. Hugh, what are you thinking? 2-0 Pompey, Mingy, and then either Rico or Dale, depending on who starts in that in that position, is my tip for the result. All right, let's wrap this up. Andy, it's been great having your podcast. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the portions of the podcast when you were staring at a hamster instead of me. Far better to look at. And uh, yeah, just bringing something a little bit different, but... Nice to be back, lads. Lovely to see you both. Love you both very much. Freddie Webb, same to you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, one thing though today, it was nice to see the listeners sharing their Spotify wraps because that came out and uh, the PO forecast was in some people's lists. So thank you so much for listening. As always, it does mean a lot because we all enjoy doing this. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy putting it together. Yeah, echo Freddy's thoughts there. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.